Hey, Teresa, what are you thankful for this year? I'm thankful for a Thanksgiving episode. It's Schmanners! I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Now I have the Bob's Burger song I stuck know. in my head. Well, you've got it stuck in my head, too. Do you want to do like one one bar of it? Okay. Pass the cranberry sauce rabbit mashed potatoes. Ooh, the turkey looks great. Okay. Yeah. If you're looking for a fun Thanksgiving thing to do, I recommend checking out uh, every Thanksgiving episode of Bob's Burgers. Ever. Every episode of Thanksgiving Bob's Burgers ever. It's pretty great. <laughs> they do a pretty good job. Um, so we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. And, you know, I will say that for many, 2016 uh, has not given them a lot of stuff to be thankful for. But I will say that I would say in our life, I would say. Yes. That 2016 has given me a lot of other things to be thankful for because there have been so many terrible things. This is true. It makes you really appreciate the good things. Yes, right? it does. If it was all good, then we wouldn't be able to tell where the good parts were. It's a roller coaster. I mean, I, I can say right off the top of the bat, I'm thankful uh, for BB and I'm thankful for this show, which we started in, tw- uh, in the past year. I'm thankful for my OBGYN. Yes, thankful for our amazing uh, doctor who delivered our baby uh, and was just incredible. Um, there are many things that I'm thankful for. Thankful for moving back to Ohio. Yes. Thankful um, for uh, McElroy TV show. Yes. The, my, well, it's not a McElroy TV. As much as I would love McElroy TV, <laughs> it's uh, the My Brother, My Brother and Me TV show. Um But uh, we have a ton of questions that we're going to answer from you, our listeners. But first, tell me a little bit about the history of this whole thing. Well, Thanksgiving. I've heard of it. Yes. Is, well, it's one of those things that is a beautiful story. It's probably not true. Okay, wait. You you know, like, like, like Christopher Columbus discovering America. You know, they tell you about that when you're little, and then and then they tell you, well, he didn't he didn't actually discover America. It was like the Caribbean or the Keys, you know, in there. And then a little later they're like, Well, I mean, he actually didn't discover it because Leif Erikson, the Viking, was an in actual North America a lot earlier. So And I mean, then they're like, Well, maybe it really wasn't so good. He you know, Christopher Columbus didn't really treat people very well. It's not really something that we really want to celebrate, but Unlike it happened. Now where we treat everyone so well all the time. Um, but so, so what you're saying is that picture that, you know, little kids in America are taught of like the pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock and a like welcoming committee of Native Americans handing them a cornucopia filled with like turkey and corn and stuff like that's not true. Nope, it's not. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the children listening to this because it really is a beautiful picture, isn't it? You know, the Native Americans welcoming pilgrims as immigrants to their shores and sharing their bounty and 
their, you know, their expertise. It, it is a beautiful picture, but that's probably not what happened. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb because we have not discussed this beforehand and I have not done any uh, personal research on this. So I'm going to go out on a limb and make a prediction that what's going to end up being true is that there was some ulterior motive for establishing Thanksgiving and the excuse was this celebrating of like the the found the pilgrims landing um much like when you talk about christmas the reason it is december 25th is cuz the uh, church wanted to incorporate already existing pagan holidays and turn them towards a more uh christian angle am i in the right you're, neighborhood you're in the right ballpark you okay. are yeah. Well, let's get to it then and prove me right. Okay. Well, so first of all, the Pilgrims' first Thanksgiving, uh, which was basically just a, a feast, a banquet, a three-day feast, um, probably occurred between September 21st and November 9th. Okay. It's a pretty um, solid big window there. Well, uh, the problem is the there's only a couple accounts of what actually happened, uh, one of which is uh, Edward... Winslow's account, uh, which was... Great-great-grandfather of Carl Winslow. (laughs) No. Which was uh, written in a letter dated December 12th, 1621. Uh, It was published in 1622, and it it goes about talking about what kind of food was at this this banquet. Um, Things like uh, their harvest, which uh, the Indian corn was okay, he says. The barley was indifferent good, but the peas were scorched. They were not worth gathering, it says. Wait, hold on. <laughs> so uh, it, the, one of the accounts we have is a dude like yel- writing a Yelp review of the first no, Thanksgiving No, 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 no. This is, this is about the harvest oh, that okay. they were celebrating. Well, because this is, I remember this from Good Eats. Uh, the, like the corn that we have today mm-hmm. is very different from the corn that they would have had then, where it was much tougher. Kernels were a lot smaller. Uh, am I in the right ballpark? Yes, yes, yes. And in order to use the nutrients, they had to uh, prepare it a certain way, or you know, you would you wouldn't be able to digest it. Yeah, you couldn't just throw like corn on the cob into a pot of boiling water, or like on a grill. Right. Well, so um, he talks about the harvest. Like I said, the peas being scorched. That it says that they probably were too late sown, meaning that they missed the season, so the sun tore up the peas. Um, it talks about how their governor sent out a, a, a hunting party for fowling, so to go get birds of all natures to eat. Um, he says, many of the Indians coming amongst us and amongst the rest, their greatest king, Masoet, I believe so, um, whom for three days entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the p- plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and the others. So right off the bat, we should be having venison at Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay. If, if you want to be historically accurate, yes. Fowls of all natures and venison. Okay. I'd be down with that. Venison's great. Not that I endorse hunting, but I'm also not strictly opposed to it. Well, I think that, you know, as long as you're respectful of the animal and the earth and you eat the whole thing and it's not just for sport, you gotta eat. These people needed to eat. They so definitely they, needed to eat. So they That's what this whole it. thing was about, right? They were starving because their peas were scorched. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so there were a couple of other things that were they probably ate just because it was around things like clams and mussels, lobster, eel, nuts, acorns, squash, beans, things like that. Those are kind of um, staples of the area. Um, but so they had this this quote feast. Um, but they, that was because they had a good harvest. They had enough food to have it. And so it wasn't like a yearly thing. It didn't happen the next year or really the year after that even, um, because they had not so good harvest those next year. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, we're going to celebrate having, this every year yeah, like we do now. Dinner and somebody stood up and was like, you know what? Same time next year, everybody. See you back sometime between September and November. See you then, folks. Bye. Right. right. And the jury even is still kind of out whether or not this feast at Plymouth really constituted the first Thanksgiving because there were other ceremonies held among other European settlements in North America that came first. So in 1565, there was a Spanish explorer named Pedro Menendez de Avila, um, who invited who invited members of the local tribes to a dinner in St. Augustine, Florida. So maybe that was the first one. Mm-hmm. The, the fact is that there were several communities and colonies that had already been established and they were probably not the first people to have a big dinner. So then, so then, how did we settle? How did we pick our favorite and establish that as like the founding and Thanksgiving? Um, well, we really didn't pick it until the American Revolution. Okay. Thanksgiving was kind of a, a local holiday held at all different days of the the fall season after harvest until, like I said, the American Revolution, when the Continental Congress designated one or more days of Thanksgiving a year. Um, particularly in 1789, George Washington issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation by the government. Um, so he really said that this is the day that we're going to celebrate it this year. Now... Did the turkey thing come from Ben Franklin? Because that dude was always trying to shoehorn turkeys into things, <laughs> trying to make it our national bird. Think, I, I, it's hard for me to remember what is actual fact that I know and what is fake made up fact from Hodgman's books. Because I think it's in more information than you require. He talks about Benjamin Franklin and his turkeys a lot, and now I can't remember what's true and what's not. He might have had a pet turkey, but I can't remember if that's something Hodgman made up or a true fact about Benjamin Franklin, and I'm too lazy to look it up. But he did want to make them the state bird. I do know that that's – or the national bird. Uh, the thing about turkey is I think that it it just kind of assimilated into turkey. Um because like, it is an indigenous bird. It is. And I said that they, they did eat all manner of fowl. Um, I think that probably turkey was just something that people had around to eat. It was um, celebratory and different from goose and duck and, and chicken. I bet there's a good reason. I bet that like, maybe the turkey provides more meat or they're easier to raise. I, I do know. hear that turkeys are not like the smartest birds, but that might just be the modern domesticated turkey. I'm not quite so sure about wild turkey. I do know. In That'll general, give us something to talk about next Thanksgiving. Yes, every turkey <laughs> I've ever met, a jerk. More like jerky. Am I right, folks? 
They could be kind of mean. So, um, by 1870... Nothing? I don't get anything on it because it's like turkey, but they're jerks? Okay, I'm getting a look, and we're moving on. So, by 1817, um, New York became the first of several states to officially adopt an annual Thanksgiving holiday. So, it was really up to the states at that point, and like I said, New York was the first one to say, this day, every year, we're doing it. Um, But... There were lots of different days states celebrated it, and the south of the uh, the south states were largely unfamiliar with the tradition at that point. So Thanksgiving, oh, because it was state by state, so like the south just didn't, which makes a lot of sense if you think about like the way seasons work in our country. Like I, I thought about this when we were in California, which is different from the South, but we were in Southern California and the idea of like when it was Christmas and everybody's like putting up snowman decorations and snowflakes and stuff. And it's 72 degrees. Yeah. It feels really weird. So like if you're in the South and you're celebrating the harvest, which is not really how the seasons worked. If you're like in Georgia, you're not really doing, you're not really harvesting corn. The well, same I mean, way. they still have seasons for harvest, but it doesn't, it might not weather wise catch up. Yes. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Um, so then in 1827, there's a magazine editor and, and prolific writer uh, named Sarah Josepha. Named Sarah Josepha Hale, who uh, wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, by the way. Oh. That nursery rhyme. Okay. Um, she launched a, a, a letter writing campaign uh, to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday. So uh, it took her 36 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And she published uh, numerous editorials and sent scores of letters to governors and senators and presidents and other politicians until Abraham Lincoln finally heeded her request in 1863 during the Civil War. Um, He made a proclamation asking Americans to ask God to commend to his tender care all those who have become widows orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife and to heal the wounds of the nation. Cool. That guy, he's so good with a pen. That dude. Oh, whatever happened to him, right? So then what? <laughs> well, so then um, it's pretty much just been like that. The fourth Thursday in November has been the Thanksgiving holiday, um, except for in the fall of... Um, 1939, President Franklin Roosevelt moved Thanksgiving up a week in an effort to extend the already important shopping period before Christmas and help spur the economy during the Great Depression. Okay, that makes sense. Well, yeah, people didn't like it, though. Nobody really likes change. They don't... He he tried to do a good thing, and everybody was like, yeah, but it's different from what we do. Yeah, different's always bad. Um, and so they moved it back in 1941. Uh, I have a bit of interesting history. Oh, okay. About the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So uh, for those of you who uh, maybe have never watched it or don't live in America, uh, every Thanksgiving, there's a big parade uh, in New York hosted by Macy's Department Store. Um, and it's grown into this massive, like, all-morning thing. It takes hours and hours and hours with tons of floats and 
you know, numbers by from like Broadway shows and one of the most iconic parts of it are these huge balloons, mm-hmm. uh, character balloons. You know, your Spider-Man, your, uh, you know, Felix the Cat, I think, is maybe the one of the oldest ones. Uh, I don't know if they still use it, but Felix the Cat, I'm reading here, uh, made uh, an appearance uh, uh, as early as 1931. Uh, but so these balloons have a very interesting history to me. Uh, so this guy named Anthony Frederick Sarg. Um, was a master puppeteer, a marionette-ist. I'm going to stay with puppeteer. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Macy heard about um, his talent. He was just like perf- doing puppet shows on the street. And Macy heard about his talents and brought him in to do window displays for Macy's. And at this point, the parade was already going on and it was mostly consisted of like floats, um, you know, bands and live animals that were borrowed from the Central Park Zoo. Oh. I said that in such a way that made it sound like they had stolen them. <laughs> they were actually borrowed. Um, and so... The borrowing was sanctioned. Yes, sanctioned borrowing. Um, and so in 1927, and at this point, it was not really as popular. It had not taken off the way that they had hoped. Um, because all of the floats and everything, you know, you could only see so much. Because everybody was, like, lined up. And if you stood behind people, you couldn't see the flow. You couldn't see the animals. And so they brought in Sarg to design balloons. These kind of raised above. Ah. And so they were designed with puppeteering in mind. Which is why when you see the character balloons now, there's multiple, like, points of articulation. And they seem, and I think maybe this is anecdotal, but to me one of the reasons that they are so popular is they seem active they're Mm -hmm. not just like stagnant balloons um and one of the things i found most interesting is that the finale of the 1928 parade they just released the balloons into the sky and they unexpectedly burst (laughs) (laughs) and so the next year uh they redesigned with safety valves to allow them to float for a few days and then they had address labels sewn onto them so they could be returned to macy's and if you return them to macy's you got a free gift from macy's um so this way, it was able to kind of like puppies. collective cleaning up. Yeah, very much. It just reminds me when I was a little kid, and I used to like tie notes to balloons. <laughs> it only worked once. One time, somebody returned a letter to me, and they were just like, "Here you go," and left. And I was like, "Okay, cool, thanks." I don't know how I thought this would play out, but it was nothing. Um, but so that was kind of how the balloons evolved in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Very cool. So there's just a, a little bit of interesting history, some factoids. You can share around the old Thanksgiving Day table. Um, And we will be back to talk about uh, some of your questions, answer some of your questions. But first, here's a word from some other Max Fun shows. Instead of door busting for a plasma TV this Black Friday, how about you stay in and snag the best deal of all? Max Fun Con 2017 tickets. MaxFunCon West returns to Lake Arrowhead next June, and MaxFunCon East is back in the Poconos next September. Tickets for both go on sale Friday, November 25th, and they're going to sell out fast. So mark your calendars and visit MaxFunCon.com on November 25th to secure your spot. MaxFunCon, way more fun than a smartwatch or whatever. Is the newest season of The Great British Bake Off any good? What exactly are furries? What shows should I binge watch on Netflix? What movie should I go see this weekend? Hey, how did Crash win Best Picture? I'm still mad about that. 
For answers to these questions and so much more, come on over to Pop Rocket, a pop culture roundtable show with me, Guy Branham. Winter Mitchell. Margaret Wappler. And Oliver Wang. Catch us every Wednesday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you decide to get your podcast. I'm not going to judge. Okay, so we got a lot of questions on this one. Let's, ju- well, you know what? I was about to say, let's jump right into it. But I want to address the elbows on the table question. All right. We got this question, I would say, across all of our episodes ever. This is maybe the most we've ever received a single question. And the question was about conversation with family and friends at Thanksgiving. Okay. And I am not surprised at all by this because not only are we coming off of maybe the most contested and divisive political election cycle of my entire life and maybe of the entire nation's life. But it's also just been a rough year as Mm -hmm. far as like, you know, negative stuff in the press and a lot of bummer stories. And so I'm not surprised that people are concerned with what's going to be brought up at the Thanksgiving dinner table. How do we even begin to address this issue, Teresa? Well, there are a couple of preemptive things that you can do. First of all, uh, Bon Appetit magazine recommends that you invite a non-family member to your Thanksgiving table. They they suggest someone who is British, for example, because Thanksgiving might be a curious novelty to them since they don't have it. Um, I think that this actually is a great tip. It can go a long way to help everyone be on their best behavior. Ah, so having an outside observer. Exactly. So having someone at the table who isn't a family member might make it a little harder for your family members to squabble over the table. I also think that in general, you said the word preemptive, and I think that that's kind of the key word here. Because if you know that this is likely to happen, I think it's perfectly okay to talk to your family beforehand and say, hey, listen, I know that like there's a lot that everyone's probably going to want to bring up, but I want to spend this holiday appreciating our time together, And I think that we should all agree to stay away from topics that could cause argument. Yeah. And and, and so that way, even if someone does then kind of break that agreement and bring it up, you then have the ability to say, no, we agreed on this. We're not going to talk about this. Let's change the subject. You can also enlist a buddy system uh, to keep people from engaging in that kind of subject if it it does come up. So you always have someone who's going to say, oh... Travis, I need your help in the kitchen when things get a little heated so that they can take you away from it or change the subject or, you know, just just safeguard everybody from from becoming, you know, angry at each other. Another thing you can do is uh, is playing a very carefully curated uh, playlist songs that everybody enjoys, songs that really kind of set the the mood for a a, a relaxing time. Um, and don't just, you know, put on your favorite album and let it play, but really think about what it is the songs are saying and how they make you feel. That That's kind of like a, a background thing that you can do. Same with movies, too. Like pick, exactly. Pick some, like, holiday or family-ish movies or, you know, if your family's going to get distracted by sports or the Thanksgiving Day Parade or something like that. Um, I, I would also say, okay, this is where 
I'm going to be a little bit more callous than my wonderful wife would normally be. And I'm going to say anybody who brings up something trying to start an argument is not is clearly not worried about upsetting you. So you should not be worried about saying, I don't want to talk about that. And like, I know that like in normal conversation, that would seem rude. But if someone's trying to pick a fight with you, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say, I am not interested in discussing that topic. So how's your family? So how's how's your work? Anything else you want to talk about? But I think um, it's perfectly okay to stop a conversation in its tracks. Okay. I'll agree with stopping a conversation is all right. I I wouldn't say exactly those words, but I'll come up with something for a little later. Well, okay. My words are great if it's the third time they've tried to start <laughs> exactly. this argument with you. Say, no, no, Jim, Jim, I said no. That's yeah. fine. But also just... If you're nervous about it, <laughs> this sounds so dorky, but write down a list of like 10 conversation topics that you know is going to get your family engaged or your friends engaged that you can like that you want to talk about. Like something. the history of the ladder. Yes. The history of the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that, but the history of the Macy's parade. Or... I threw that in for you Parks and Rex fans. Yes, of course you did. Okay. So let's get to our questions. This is from Justin. I think it's McElroy. Is it McElroy? McElroy. I think it's McElroy. Um, How do I ask what sides would be appropriate slash appreciated? Also, leftovers, who takes them? Okay. Well, about the sides question, uh, you do need to communicate with whoever is hosting and ask them if they would like you to bring anything. Some people want to furnish the entire meal themselves. Um, And in that case, you still shouldn't arrive empty-handed. You should bring something, uh, maybe not wine, because that that could get um, misconstrued as, I want you to serve this. But you can bring um, a nice olive oil or a a nice box of chocolates, uh, depending upon... Floral centerpiece? uh, I would would stay away from... Because they might already have that. Well, they might already have that. And I'd stay away from flowers because um, we want the food smells in the house to really take center stage, but um, a decorative gourd, perhaps. Everybody loves a decorative gourd. Or potted flowers, something that can go outside and doesn't need a vase. Or a huge inflatable, like, turkey lawn decoration. (laughs) Uh, so you shouldn't arrive empty-handed, even if um, your host insists that you don't bring anything. I would say, also, let's look at it from the other side, from the other direction. If you are the host and someone is asking you what they can bring, let them bring something. If it doesn't upset you, it because I think that... Yeah, division is, of labor is important in a big This falls under a conversation we've had a lot on this show, which is this, like... If they ask, assume that they mean it. Right. Because I think a lot of times people assume someone's asking because they feel obligated to ask, but they don't really want to bring something. And on the other side, the person asked and the person said no, but they think they said no so that they didn't feel put upon and they really want you to bring something. It's a lot of confusion. If somebody offers to bring something, let them. And if you have very treasured recipes, there are always things that people can bring uh, that don't encroach upon that. Things like bread, salad. Um, you can have people bring, if, if you need a specific type of like cranberry relish or or things that can be farmed out that way, ask them to bring those things if you don't want them to uh, to take up table away from your your treasured recipes. And you know what? One of the beautiful things about Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving meal, so what if you have three different versions of mashed potatoes? Like, <laughs> there's no law again it. 
It's okay. If, if you have a guest coming who's like, oh, in my family we do like smashed potatoes. Cool. Make them. Bring them. Even if you're the only one who eats it. Like, everybody I mean, should feel included. The worst thing that can happen is that your host gives it all back to you to take home and enjoy yourself. So that's the question. Leftovers. How does that division of leftover work? I think because Thanksgiving is largely celebrated by the family unit, people tend to assume that leftovers will be divided amongst the family. Uh, but according to etiquette, the host is the one who decides who gets leftovers. Um, so if you want to bring some, uh, some Tupperware to bring leftovers, keep it in your car. Don't bring that in into, uh, into the kitchen because you never want to assume what it is the host will give you. Um, Especially if the host has paid for the meal in its entirety. Right. I think it's a, a different, a little bit of a different discussion if it's kind of a friend's giving and everybody's chipped in to the host to help like pay for the meal and everybody's taking kind of an equal part in it. I think that that's a discussion you can have beforehand of how, you know, like, and then we'll all split, uh, we'll split the, the leftovers. Mm-hmm. But I think that if it's a family, you know, thing or a friend's thing where one person has furnished all of the food on yeah. their own dime, and if they want to keep all of the th- leftovers, I think that's fine. Right. Um, and then if the host offers you leftovers, you should really only take as many portions as there are people in your party. So don't fill up a Tupperware full of turkey that's enough to feed six or seven people uh, if there's only you. So if you get turkey leftovers, you get enough portion for one meal for your one person. If there's two of you, two portions. You know what I mean? Um, So that you don't take away from the host the thing that they were, you know, they're... I almost feel like leftovers on Thanksgiving are kind of like the the favor that yeah gets to take home. Well, not not just that. They're like a reward to the cook. Um, since the cook has spent all of this time making this fabulous meal, they get the leftovers as kind of like. Thank you for your your services rendered. You don't have to cook. The next two meals. Yeah. Here you go. Um, so this next question comes from, uh, I'm going to say Al. I'm trying to, mm, Al Lampone. I don't know. Mm. It's on Twitter. Um, what do you do when the host has tried to accommodate your allergies slash diet, but did it incorrectly? Um, I'm curious as to how you would know that they've done it incorrectly without well, eating I, I the food. I saw some messages where uh, people talked about like, Someone telling them that something was gluten-free when they very clearly used, like, bread in the stuffing. Uh, that kind of thing. Like, oh, okay. You might not have understood the what, parameters Yeah, of what the this thing. meant. Um, I think that it's important that you appear gracious that they tried and just stick to foods that you know are fine. So, like you said, if you have a gluten intolerance, um, stick to the things like salad, potatoes, Turkey, things that don't have gluten in them. I, or just, do potatoes have gluten? I don't know. Search me, my love. Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, that's not an intolerance that I have, so I'm not very well versed on it. But like I said, stick to the things that you know will be appropriate for you. And, and thank them profusely and maybe, I would say... 
don't take this as an opportunity to educate the cook because tensions are probably high once the meal is actually served. Uh, thank them and say, uh, we'll talk about it or no, not, not we'll talk about it. I, I, I have a suggestion. Okay. This is, once again, another area in which I think uh, preemptive is the way to go. If you have informed your host that you have these dietary concerns... Rather than just informing them, maybe also share with them some recipes that you can provide that you know fit those dietary concerns rather than leaving them to do all the research on their own. Mm -hmm. So if you, say, have uh, an allergy um, to something that someone normally puts in stuffing, provide an example. You don't have to say, make this. But to say, like, for example, I found this recipe that doesn't have such and such and such in it. That way, they have at least some kind of basis to go off of. Because I, I would say that if I were the host and someone, especially if the allergy or dietary con- concern they have was more uh, specific and rare, I wouldn't even know where to begin. And I would be so nervous that I'd miss a step or put something in that I wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to. So if someone could provide to me an example, I would appreciate it. And I think that if you are bringing your own food, there's a way to do it that is on the kind of DL. Of course, your host will know that you are not eating their food. But when you bring it, don't bring in like the whole cooking accoutrement. I would suggest making more of like a takeout plate and putting your food on their plate. So you've got your takeout plate or takeout Tupperware style, and then you transfer your food from your Tupperware onto their plate so that you still participate in the family meal and it doesn't look like you have your own, you know, pl- plethora of dishes kind of surrounding you. It, it looks a little more family friendly. Um, so the two last things I'll say about this is if your host does end up in some way um, screwing up the, uh, your dietary concerns, don't try to hide that fact because I think that will just end up being more uncomfortable. If you're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. But you're very clearly not eating it. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay to say like, oh, you know, like it looks great. It did great. I'm, I'm just, I'm worried because this is in it, but I really appreciate it because that momentary discomfort and that momentary, um, you know, moment of awkwardness, I think is way better than them having to drag out of you. That they did something. Or you risking your health. Yes. And the second thing I'll say is if you're listening to this and you do not have any dietary concerns, you do not have any food allergies, and someone has brings a specific dish or has a specific dish made for them to accommodate their dietary concerns, make sure that you don't like take half of it. As you're going down the line of the Yeah, we talked about this at the potluck kind of episode. Be be aware, be conscientious uh, of those who have those specific dietary concerns. Um, This is from Hugo the Buck uh, on on Twitter. Is it more polite to take less to begin and get seconds after or to pile the plate high the first time? It is more polite to have a little bit of everything and then go back for seconds Um, because you wouldn't want to, uh, like we just said, you wouldn't want to pile your plate too high and someone not get the side that they needed to have or, or even, I mean, just wanted to have. It's a family thing. It's usually served family style. So, um, firsts and then seconds. Especially if you take a big scoop of something and then you take a bite of it and you don't like it. Exactly. You've just wasted a ton of food. 
So better just to like try, see if you, and also like that way you get a little bit of everything before you fill up on any one thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because that that was also a question we got um, a couple times. Uh, I'm oh, I'm gonna find it now. I'm not just gonna say it. Ah, here it is. Uh, from internet. Um, introducing a new food to a new family. I think I celebrate Thanksgiving with my boyfriend of four years and his family, and I always want to bring a dish that my family traditionally made. In the past, these have been met with limited success. I eat them, but they seem mostly ignored. Should I just brush it off and go with the flow or continue to make my mom's cranberry relish or my grandma's strange orange jello slash ice cream slash mantran orange dessert, affectionately named orange fluff? And I think that this falls under that thing of, like, take a little bit of everything. Even if it's something you never had before. I mean, even if it's something you don't know if you'll like or look at and think, hmm, I don't like that. Take a spoonful of it and then, like, take a bite of it because it might end up being the most amazing thing you've ever had. And just because it was weird, you hadn't tried it. Right. And on the subject of that question, um, I think that... If you are going to bring something that's out of the ordinary for the family that you are you're joining for Thanksgiving, make sure that the host knows that that's what you're bringing, um, so that they can you know be prepared to try new things. Uh, this question is from Lizzie Brocious. How do I respond to fifty people asking me how school slash relationships is slash are going? Hmm, this small talk question, it's difficult because... I hate small talk so very much. I know. I'm very bad at it. I love big talk, real bad at small talk. I I think that really the only advice we can give you is uh, think about a script beforehand. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is very similar to the first episode we talked about thank you notes. It's going to feel to you. Like you're repeating the same thing over and over again because you are. But just because you said it to your grandmother doesn't mean you can't also say it to your uncle later. Like Mm -hmm. they're not going to sit there and go, wait a minute. That's the same thing you told Uncle Steve. Like it's okay to have the same answer ready to go. And I would also say maybe follow that up with a question of your own that doesn't feel so small talky. Like something on a specific subject that's not just like, so how's it going? Like, right. you, you know, something like that. Like, oh, what are you looking forward to at Christmas? You know, do you have any plans uh, for any summer plants? Something like that. Very specific question that then can transition away from the small talky kind of stuff. Great idea, hon. Hey, thanks. This is from Mary. I'm clumsy and end up spilling things when passing food around the table. I spilled water on a 9,000 year old last year. That's probably an exaggeration. Mary. <laughs> any tips? When food at uh, at a dinner table is served family style with uh, large service dishes being brought to the table, we are often expected to pass these dishes. Um, but I think that if you are particularly crum- clumsy, you can rely on the people next to you a little more than you would normally. Um, you can ask them to hold the service dish while you spoon so that you don't have both both hands occupied, that'll help a little bit. Um, you can help to designate someone to actually be the water pourer, a lot like someone like a, a like service staff in a in a restaurant would. Um, so there are ways around it without you being like worried about spilling on people. Um, just rely on on the kindness of your friends. Um, And I would also say, as someone that has also been known to be a little bit clumsy at things like this, I'm all elbows, 
taking a, a breath as you're doing it is very helpful because I, I find that most of the time when it comes to like spilling something or dropping things, it's probably because you were trying to do it too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like pick up the thing, breathe out, hand off the thing, breathe in. Like it, it's going to feel very urgent. There's going to be a lot of activity, a lot of noise, a lot of people asking for things in a flurry of motion as things pass around the table. Mm-hmm. It's okay to take a second. You don't have to rush it. Um, you can do it very calmly. Um, and use both hands, like you said. Like yeah. it, it's take your time. Um, this is uh, from Lilybet uh, or Lilybet. Um, one of those. <laughs> this is from Lilliputian. When is it appropriate <laughs> to offer to help clean up? What if there are more helpers than there is room in whatever space? Well, I think that uh, everyone wants to help clean up, and. Um, there are lots of different ways that you can help other than cleaning dishes and putting things away and, you know, uh, rearranging furniture. Sometimes the way that you can help is to usher a lot of those extra people who are in the way to a different room. Uh, so if, if you have significant helpers in the kitchen and the kitchen is not big enough to support that amount of helpers, you can help by saying, hey, Jane and Jill, come on into the living room and let's get some holiday tunes going. Anything to to really disperse those people is often is often help uh, in itself. And uh, same thing goes with children who are in the way, or um, or maybe a host who insists on doing all of the cleaning themselves. Uh, sometimes just getting people out of the way so that they can carry on with what it is they want to do is the most important job you can do. I think that this is, once again, another time which um, everybody should work harder to take communication at face value with stuff like this. So if you ask, do you need any help? And they say no, or they say yes. But if they say no, the person saying no should assume that you were actually asking to help and not just being polite. And them saying, no, you should assume that they do not need any help and they're not being polite. Because, like, it's I, I'm the type of person that... Well, when you, when you say being polite, what you mean is feigning politeness. Yes, yes. And saying, like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. When really they want you to insist that you help. Like, mm, I, I don't, I don't cotton to that. I believe that you can offer twice. The first one is often feigned politeness. Uh, met with, oh, of course not. You're our guest. The second time, if they really say no, then don't then take it at what they've said. Um, and there are other ways that you can help besides just standing next to them and saying, can I help? Can I help? Can I help? Uh, offering to ferry dishes from the table to the kitchen, even if you're not cleaning up the dishes, uh, saves them a step. That's help to them. Um, things like maybe... Uh, uh, ferrying clean dishes for dessert back to the table saves them a step. You know, stuff like that. Uh, this question is from Nesson Company. How long after dinner is it appropriate to nap the heck up? <laughs> uh, once everything has been cleaned up and the host is back in the, the room with the rest of the party, um, I think that if everyone kind of settles down to, I don't know, watch football or a holiday movie or, you know, kind of uh, convalesce over coffee, 
then you can excuse yourself to go take a nap if you really need it. But I would suggest that you take a walk instead. Um, The walk is going to aid in digestion. It's something active. um, And you can always just go to bed early when you when you leave uh, a walk, you can make kind of a communal activity and invite other people to go with you. And if you are going to nap, snooze. Take like a 30, 40 minute power nap, set an alarm. Don't just go crash for like three hours because then you're going to wake up and everybody's going to be gone. Like, <laughs> it's okay to crash for a little bit. But if you're that tired, either go home or if you're staying there, just like excuse yourself because like that's not like, oh, I'm going to sleep in this chair for a second. You're going to bed at that point. <laughs> um, this is uh, from Nicole. How soon is too soon to invite my significant other to Thanksgiving, especially since he's from out of state and won't be going home? I think that depends on how prepared you are for the questions that your family is going to give you about how serious you two are. I would say it also depends on how uh, tight-knit and exclusive your family's Thanksgiving event is. Right. Like, if you're a family of four and the four of you are the only ones who ever come to Thanksgiving, it's a pretty big addition to add one more in there. Now, if you're the kind of family where the whole extended family shows up and there's 30 people there. And the neighbors. Yeah. And the kids. One more isn't that noticeable. Well, and I think that you need to prepare your significant other for what might happen. Um, If, like you said, it's a very tight-knit family and you you inviting your significant other is going to um, really kind of uh, make a statement, you need to know what that statement is. Is it? We are, you know, we're just friends. We're hanging out. Is it um, we are dating each other and I wanted to make sure that they were included in some sort of celebration this year? Or was it I wanted them to meet my family type serious? Now, that's a big one because I think right there is and it's maybe a little bit short of time when you hear this. But if you can get away with introducing them to your family before bringing them to a big holiday event like this, Mm -hmm. it will make that a lot easier. Also on your significant other, because that's a lot of pressure to put on them to be like, hey, um, everyone's going to be looking at you and you won't know any of our family traditions. Have fun. But like introducing them ahead of time. And also this is one of those things where I think gut check, like is your family going to be cool with you bringing them? Like, you know, everybody's family is different and everybody's right. family dynamic is different. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a time frame question of how soon is too soon, but more like, is your family going to be cool with this? Is your significant other going to be cool with this? Or are you kind of forcing this introduction? Right. You know, this is a quick one. This is from Joe. No etiquette questions, but maybe you could voice in on the transition of listening to Arlo Guthrie's Alice's Restaurant. (laughs) My family can't be the only one who does this, right? I don't believe your family is the only one who does this. At the very least, our friend Jeremy Dubin also does this. um, And that is because Alice's Restaurant is about a story that takes place on Thanksgiving. Um, And I I believe that's why for some it is a Thanksgiving tradition. And I suppose it's like listening to Jingle Bells at Christmas. You know, it's like Thanksgiving music if there is such a thing as Thanksgiving music. it's a very funny kind of story slash song. And it has a very uh, repeatable and uh, memorable chorus, um, which I think it makes for fun kind of family slash friend sing along. Um, I don't think that your family's alone in this. I don't think that this is quite as big as like 
watching football or, or jingle bells or jingle bells. <laughs> but uh, I do think that this is there's a lot of reasons why this is a holiday tradition. But I think a tradition is what it is. Like for a while there, uh, Jeremy and his wife Kelly and we and a lot of friends would also watch. Joe versus the volcano on Thanksgiving after like everybody was done eating and like at the end of the night there was no reason for this. Well, this other is, than it's an awesome movie. Yeah, because it was an awesome movie and we just watched it one year, so we watched it the next year and then we watched it the next year. That's fine. Traditions are what you make them. Uh, but no, I don't think your family's alone in this. Um, this question is from Rini. Uh, My partner and I are having Thanksgiving dinner at one house and pie at another. How do we help facilitate a smooth transition between the two? I think you have to be up front with the first house and you have to let the second house know when you will be arriving uh, and stick to it. Because uh, if you tell your host at the first house, uh, we are so grateful to be invited. Um, We are a little double booked. So we wanted to let you know we will be leaving at this time. And then when uh, when you schedule these things, make sure your second host knows that you are coming from another place and you will be there at a specific time. All of that stuff, I think people understand, especially with, um, you know, blended families or uh, um, people who who like to split their time a little more evenly between families or even just if you have a group of friends that you normally hang out with and you guys want to start your own traditions. Uh, as long as everybody is up front and you are very communicative about what you're doing and not sneaky about it. Yeah, that that always makes for awkwardness because yeah. if you think about it, if you're being sneaky, all you're going to do is like, oh, uh, oh yawn. Oh. Yeah. And then it's going to be like, no, it's fine. You don't have to go. It's like, oh, no, I well, it's getting late. No, it's fine. Like, we're going to hang out. Uh, like, if you and, just say yeah. ahead of time, like, all right, what time is dinner? Three? Okay, great. Just, you know, we have to take off at about 530 because we told our friends we'd come over for dessert. The person may not like that news. They may say, oh, no, you, oh, you're not going to stay. But then they can get over it. And do it well ahead of time. Yes. Don't wait until you arrive at the first house to tell them that you're leaving at, at, at five. Um, tell them when they invite you. Say They're like, we'd love to have you for Thanksgiving this year. Say, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for including us. I do want to let you know. Uh, I will have to leave at a certain time because I have uh, Thanksgiving plans at another location as well. And and also, we should also say, it's one thing I think if it's you're talking about like splitting time between like two family houses or multiple family houses. Um, you should be prepared, though. I could definitely see a circumstance in which someone in like a family member, you know, is hosting a Thanksgiving and you want to go afterwards to hang out with friends at a friend Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. that family could see that as a slight. I think that if that's the case, you need to be prepared for that too. That if like there are, there are just sacrifices you have to make sometimes if you want to split your time between different people. And I think that you're, you know, the main host of the dinner is allowed to be a little bit put off that you're going to split time. That's but, why I think it needs to be done ahead of time yeah, because time heals all wounds. It will be okay. You know, but I, I, I don't think you should expect them to like let it roll off their backs and be like, yeah, super cool, whatever. Like there might be a little bit of hurt feelings, but a little bit of hurt feelings up front is better than a lot of hurt feelings in the moment. You exactly. Know? Uh, so I think that's going to do it for us. Um, Thank you so much for all your questions. That that wasn't even half of them, but we're starting to run a little long here. 
Um, and it's, uh, you know, time to start taking care of our baby. Um, but we want to say thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for checking out all the other amazing Maximum Fun shows. Um, we'll probably have to miss next week because of Thanksgiving. Um, maybe not, but no guarantees. With the new baby, and we're going to be traveling for Thanksgiving with family, uh, so we might have to miss it. Uh, but we will do our best. And we appreciate everyone being so accommodating and understanding of, like, our new parent schedule. I know the shows have been getting up a little bit later on Fridays. And, like, last week's went up on, like, Sunday or something. I don't know. It's all so <laughs> hectic. Um, but we do appreciate your understanding. And we appreciate um, everything. Uh, a lot of people have been sending stuff in for BB and for us. And uh, I'm still working on that post for the Facebook group. And we'll probably post it also on the Max Fun group or on the um, Bim Bam group because you guys, you are just fa- so fantastic and the list keeps growing and it's hard to catch up. Um, if you have anything you would like to send, and I want to stress once again that you are under no obligation to do so. We just know that people have asked us about it. It is P.O. Box... 36384 Cincinnati, Ohio 45236. I can't stress enough. We don't expect anything from you, but a postcard's great. I um, love to get postcards. Don't feel obligated to send us anything. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at SchmannersCast. S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S uh, C-A-S-T. And you can also join the Schmanners Facebook group. I just want to let you know, if you're looking for something whimsical and silly to do on Thanksgiving, my brothers and I and our friends Tim and Guy from The Worst Idea of All Time have an annual podcast that we do once a year, one episode a year, called Till Death Do Us Blart, where we watch and review Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 every American Thanksgiving for the rest of linear time. <laughs> and we are committed that when we die... Someone else will have to fill in our spot, and the show will have to keep going. Last year was our first year. This will be our second. We've already recorded it. It is silly and fun. My face hurt from laughing. Um, My face hurt from squinting? Yeah, I made her watch it with me this year. It was the first movie BB's ever watched. Um, so if you want to check it out, you can check it out. Till Death Do Us Blart. From from Grimacing. That's from what grimacing. I grimacing, yes. My face hurt from Grimacing. Episode two will be up this Thanksgiving. Episode one is already up, so you can go check that out now. Uh, it's stupid and fun and just a little bit of frivolous holiday enjoyment. Um If you like this episode, feel free to share it around. Tell people about it. Go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Teresa, do you have any thank you notes? As always, I want to thank Brent, Brentlefloss Black, for our theme song, which you can get on iTunes and wherever ringtones are sold. Um, Also, I want to thank Kayla M. Wassel for our lovely banner and thumbnail art. And I want to thank my girl, Emily Post. In in, um, this episode, I used more of Lizzie Post's. uh, She is the great-great-granddaughter of Emily Post. I I used a lot of her etiquette suggestions. So thank you very much to Lizzie Post as well. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.